stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, so we try to digest news of yet another mass shooting in the U.S., yet another school shooting in the United States. Obviously, the conversation shifts and should shift to why. Why is this happening? And is it uniquely an American problem? Given that we're talking about shootings, given that the United States has relatively lax gun laws, at least compared to other countries, uh, certainly guns are, should be a part of the conversation. I mean, nothing should be off the table in talking about why this is happening, what should be done to prevent it. And certainly for countries like Canada to look at and say, well, uh, should we be concerned that this could happen here? Or to try to understand, I guess, why it doesn't happen or with as great a frequency in other countries. But when it comes to the United States and guns, there's a whole lot of paradoxes that we need to, to get through first before we can at least try to find some clear answers. And we mentioned how the U.S. is a bit of an outlier when it comes to, to homicides certainly compared to Canada, European countries, countries like Japan. But here's the interesting thing, is gun laws have got even laxer in the United States over the last couple of decades. The murder rate has come down. It's come down in Canada, it's come down in other countries too. There's probably a lot of reasons for that. Within the United States, there are, of course, remember, 50 states. There's a huge variation when it comes to gun laws and when it comes to homicide rates. Just to give you the extremes... For 2016, the homicide rate in New Hampshire was 1.3 per 100,000. It was almost 10 times higher in Louisiana. It was 11.8. And there's all kinds of numbers in between. So the U.S. is not a monolith when it comes to gun laws or when it comes to homicides. So where does that take the conversation from here? Joining us uh, for some thoughts, very pleased to welcome to the program uh, Jacob Sullum. He's a senior editor at Reason Magazine, Reason.com, also a nationally syndicated columnist with Creator Syndicate. Jacob, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What's your sense of, of where the conversation needs to go following yet another mass shooting? Well, I mean, you, you hear the same recommendations after every one of these mass shootings. Um, people... Uh, sort of to the left, um, tend to recommend gun control. And people to the right, uh, partly to deflect the calls for gun control, tend to uh, call for people control um, of various kinds. And usually that involves something, some kind of reference to mental illness. Um, I think these are both mistaken approaches. Um, they're based on the notion that we can first of all, uh, pick out particular kinds of weapons as the ones that are used in uh, mass shootings, and let's get rid of those. Let's assume for a moment that's possible. It's not, by the way. I mean, uh, if you just look at AR-15-style AR uh, rifles, which is the kind of gun that was used in yesterday's attack, uh, there's something like 15 million of those already in circulation in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, But let's say you can get rid of all those guns plus all the other guns that vaguely resemble military weapons. Um, uh, can that reasonably be expected to have any kind of impact on the number of people killed in mass shootings? No, because the definitions used in these laws have very little to do with the lethality of the weapons. They have to do with things like whether it has a folding stock or an attachment that you can theoretically use uh, to attach a grenade launcher, which in itself would be illegal and impossible <laughs> to, to obtain legally. Right. <laughs> so uh, if, you, if you look at the bill that, for example, Diane 
Feinstein is now pushing again um, it, it is based on features that make it look like a military weapon, right? So that may that explains why she doesn't like these guns. It also explain may explain why some mass shooters are attracted to these guns. But when it comes down to it, and, and, uh, and when you look at the details of a mass shooting, it's very hard to see how these features make the attacks more deadly. So that's you know, the first problem is is is, is uh, uh, it's not possible to identify a, su- a subset of weapons, get rid of that subset, and then say, okay, this kind of attack won't happen anymore. It's just it's just not true. Right. Well, we're, we're um, told that there is a subset, by the way, that that would be considered assault style weapons. Is that a meaningful right. categorization? No. No, I mean, that, that's actually what I'm talking about. This is purely a political definition. Mm-hmm. It is literally whatever Dianne Feinstein or some other legislator decides it is. So in her particular bill, she says, if you have a, a semi-automatic rifle that can accept a detachable magazine, it qualifies as an assault weapon if it has any of these features. And she has list features, and they include things like what I mentioned, like a, if it has a folding stock, if it has a forward pistol grip, if it has um, a... Uh, a uh, attachment where you can put on a, a rifle, uh, a uh, sorry, a uh, grenade launcher, uh, or uh, and I don't think it has, doesn't have the bayonet mount in it anymore. anymore. <laughs> that used to be one of the the features, but 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 the list of features has very little to do with the lethality of the weapon. So these are guns that look scary to Diane Feinstein, but it doesn't mean they're actually deadlier. And in fact, the vast majority of mass shootings are carried out with handguns, which are not at all covered by the bill. Uh, so this is the first problem is that the, the guns they tend to focus on, even if you get rid of all of them, which you can't, um, can easily be replaced with other guns that are just as deadly mm-hmm. in this sort of situation. Um, and then, you know, then obviously you have the broader problem of, well, we could get rid of all guns. Well, we can't get rid of all guns, actually. But, you know, you can imagine the world where you can get rid of all guns, right? So that's, you're getting away from realistic solutions. Um, uh, when you focus, you know, in the United States, of course, we have, we have a, a right to, a constitutional right to, to keep and bear arms for self-defense. So it is not legally possible to actually get rid of all guns. And the same gun that can be used in self-defense can also be used to murder people. Um, there's no getting around that. You can't make a gun that can only be used for good purposes. All guns can be used for good purposes or for evil purposes, right? So that is the fundamental problem on the, on the, gun, the gun side of it. But I don't want to let the people on the other side off the hook because <laughs> you will often hear from the NRA and, and its defenders, we shouldn't be talking about guns. We should be talking about the sort of people who are inclined to use these guns to commit murder. If we, we can identify them ahead of time and we can stop them through various means. And that also is not true. Because we don't know. You know, in retrospect, you always see these stories where, wow, that should have been a red flag. This guy was clearly, you know, unbalanced or angry or, you know, bent on murder in some way. Uh, But at the moment that that you see these so-called red flags, there's nothing that really distinguishes that person from hundreds of thousands or millions of other people who show those very, very same signs but never murder anyone. So the notion that you can somehow buy... Uh, psychiatric examination or some other criterion identify the future murderers is also fallacious. There's no basis to think that psychiatrists are good at identifying those people ahead of time. They have a very poor track record of it. Uh, you know, current law, they look just at people who have been uh, forcibly treated for mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have actually been ordered into a mental hospital, that is supposed to show up when they do a background check. It means you're not allowed to to buy a gun or to own a gun, 
Um, and, uh, you know, I would argue over that. I don't think that is justified uh, in itself because, uh, for example, somebody who has uh, suicidal impulses as a young man, these are actual cases like this come up from time to time, he's suicidal, suicidal uh, impulses as a young man, he is ordered into treatment for that, and then decades later, um, he still has no right to own a gun for self-defense. That doesn't make any sense to me. So but the people like at the NRA are saying, I presumably go even farther, right? Not just if you have been actually ordered by a court into treatment, uh, but if a doc, uh, you know, a psychiatrist thinks you're dangerous, if you have, tr- you know, a bad disciplinary record um, at school, I don't know what. I mean, the kid in this case, kid, I mean, he's 19 years old, the man in this case, uh, you know, got thrown out of school. Well, lots of kids get thrown out of school for various reasons, and it doesn't mean they're going to become uh, mass murderers. So I have yet to see any kind of persuasive argument for how you could come up with a screening system that would uh, distinguish between the future mass murderers and the people who are just weird or just angry, um, which is the vast majority of them. So if you, if you try to strip everyone of the right to own a gun based on you know, what you take to be red flags, you're going to end up hurting lots of harmless, innocent people who are never going to uh, hurt anyone. Um, and, and you still might not catch the mass murderers. Uh, so that's the problem on the other side. I don't think either of these solutions um, really make sense when you, when you uh, take a closer look at them. So where does that leave us in, you think? Uh, well, this is the, the problem. I, I don't have a solution. <laughs> I know people like to have solutions. They like to talk to people about solutions, but I don't think there is a simple answer to this. I don't even know why. You know, you, you can ask why do these seem to be, you know, the big, big spectacular ones with big death tolls seem to be happening more often. Why is that? It could be because they're happening. You know, one breeds another, and the attention that you give to one mass shooting encourages uh, some people to, to copy that example. You know, it's a way of being famous for, for well, for longer than 15 minutes. Um, you know, so obviously you can't stop covering these things. You can't stop talking about them. You know, they've talked about let's not run the photo of the killer. Let's not name him because, you know, assuming he survived, you know, that's what he's looking for is this notoriety, is this whole motivation. Um, you know, so there's some maybe some truth to that. Um, as you mentioned, there's not necessarily a connection between the mass shootings uh, getting a lot of attention and the and the overall murder rate. I mean, these kinds of... Crimes actually account for a very small percentage of total murders. Um, and uh, so we shouldn't, just because these are the ones, you know, they're obviously they're very dramatic and spectacular, uh, they get a lot of attention. We shouldn't, therefore, conclude that this is really what crime looks like. This is what it's about. If we can attack this uh, issue, we'll uh, you know, have it solved when, in fact, this is really just a very small subset. A violent crime in general. Most of those are, are crimes committed with handguns um, and not, you know, not mass shootings. Um, that's where mo- that's where the vast majority of people are, are being killed. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's easy to look at the United States as as a whole as an outlier when it comes to to murders or or gun murders in particular. But I think if you try to look within the United States, because you have some states with uh, lax gun laws and low murder rates, some states with with um, lax gun laws and, and high murder rates. I mean, there, there's no clear pattern that emerges where we can say A leads to B, right? Yes, I mean, I I think that that's true. Um, there's wide variation in, in laws among the states. There's wide variation. There's wide variation in not just homicide rate, but also suicide rates. This is another interesting thing because uh, the truth is that, that, that I think it's like two thirds now of uh, gun deaths in the U.S. are suicides, not not homicides. 
So it does, you know, uh, the mass murders or the mass shootings are a very small percentage of, of, of the homicides, of the gun homicides. And then the gun homicides are themselves um, a minority of the gun deaths, right? So if, if you're going to look at impact of gun control, um, really the main target in terms of numbers, they don't usually talk about this, it would be getting, you know, reducing the number of suicides. Right. So if you throw in suicide rates, then it's an even bigger mess because you can have you can find states that have, where they got a low, you know, homicide rate but a high suicide rate, and that and that also has no clear relationship to uh, the gun control regime. Um, so uh, I don't think it's it's obvious that um, within the United States anyway the particular kinds of gun control um, actually reduce the number of people. Um, dying either by suicide or by homicide. Um, And in the U.S., at least, there are practical legal constraints um, on how far you can go with gun control. So um, if you could snap your fingers and make all guns disappear, well, you might, you would definitely see a decrease in, uh, you know, people being killed with guns by definition, right? That, that's for sure true. Um, but you can't do that, right? So you, you have a certain amount of um, leeway in terms of what you can actually uh, uh, pass in terms of laws that will be upheld by the courts. Um, and within that range of, of, of policies that would be uh, constitutional, uh, there really isn't a whole lot you can do that will have uh, much of, a, of, an, of an impact. Um, I mean, they fiddle with things like um, talk about fiddling with things like background checks, right? So uh, the the mass shooting in Texas uh, last year, this was a guy who really under under current law he should have been barred from buying a gun. He should right. not have been allowed to bar, buy a gun because he was convicted in a military court of of domestic abuse, and it was the equivalent of a felony in the U.S. system. Even if it hadn't been, it was a, a domestic. A, a, it was a misdemeanor involved. It would have been a misdemeanor involving uh, domestic violence. But I think it actually was the equivalent because of the kind of court it was held in. It was the equivalent of a felony under under uh, civil law. So he very clearly should not have been allowed to buy a gun, but he was anyway. So you can say, well, the military really should be you know, passing along uh, you know the, that information, and that's true. Under you know they're not, they're they're falling down under the current law, but. Um, suppose he had not been able to buy those particular guns would he got, have gotten them from you know some other source where there wouldn't have been a background check well it depends on how determined he was right yeah. um could he have acquired you know guns before he became inel- legally ineligible uh, it's hard to know what happens you know with the counterfactual but, but you can say for sure they should have better data if if you're supposed to be barred based on these criteria you should have you know get all the data in the system that you have but it only gets you so far so you can do things like that i mean you can and you can um, you know, they, the other thing is, well, if he could have gone somewhere else, you make it so everyone is legally required to do a background check. I mean, check, which means effectively, if you have these informal exchanges uh, where it doesn't involve a federally licensed dealer, um, you would make them go to a federally licensed dealer and run the transaction through them so that it would be a background check. So that's a very popular idea. Um, and I don't see that having much of an impact either, because uh, how are you going to force everybody, right? (laughs) I mean, especially the people who are determined because they're thinking of committing mass murder or some other crime. You're going to how are you going to get them to not? I mean, people 
who are uh, uh, you know criminals, professional criminals, uh, seem to have no trouble getting guns, and they don't buy them legally. From you know, generally don't buy them legally, and they don't, well, they can't buy them legally, and they don't buy them over the counter in a, in a, in a gun store. They so they get them off the black market, and so so there are all kinds of ways around these rules. And then the other problem is that that some of the rules, like as I, I mentioned earlier, are really too too restrictive and too broad. Um, you know, so if you had perfect data in the current system, even under current law, there are all kinds of harmless, innocent people who would be uh, stripped of their Second Amendment rights. Uh, anybody who smokes marijuana, for example, even if you do that in a state where it is legal under state law, that makes you ineligible to own a gun under federal law. Is that right? Uh, I don't want, you know, you could say, let's get better data. No, I don't think we should. I want better data on that so that somebody, you know, who who uses marijuana recreationally or medically um, uh, suddenly is not allowed to, uh, no longer has a right to armed self-defense. Um, I, that, that would be, that, that people look at that as an improvement. To me, that makes it worse because you're, you're uh, more effectively enforcing a rule that is unjust to begin with. Um, so even when you talk about what, what seem to be improvements or are advertised as improvements, they may actually make the situation worse. Yeah, fascinating points. Jacob, we'll leave there much more at uh, Reason.com. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. appreciate this. Sure, thank you. Take care. Jacob Zollum, senior editor, Reason Magazine, Reason.com, also nationally syndicated columnist with Creators uh, Syndicate, just kind of illustrating, you know, the various layers to all of this and, and why easy solutions are, are tough to be found, right? You, you could change some laws in the United States, but would it have an immediate impact? You could take uh, Canada's gun laws or pick any other country and, and just implement them en masse in the United States, but would it necessarily change anything overnight? Some interesting points to consider there. 403-974-8255. Back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.